Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the January 10th, 2014 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, the philosophy behind the uniquely American sense of life, the sense of life of those who believe we have the right to life, liberty, and most importantly, the pursuit of your own individual happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and joining me here in the studio is cartoonist Bosch Faustin. He's kind of looking at his phone, I guess, for the the latest and greatest updates? Well, I feel like Chris Christie on a diet, so. <laughs> Why? A little bug buzzing things. Oh, so Chris Christie on a diet would make would make you bugged? Yeah. Yeah? So what's bugging you? A number of things. Yeah? Yeah. Like? About the about the reaction with the Chris Christie about the uh, comic books, about comic book fans going incredibly to pretend that they're so incredibly excited about this Miss Marvel coming out, the Muslim superhero. Right. They're saying. Well, I mean, just explain that to people because what is the usual reaction to a new comic book that's coming out? Wait and see. No matter who does it, no matter who writes, no matter who draws, no matter who the character is, wait and see. This one, on the other hand, I cannot wait. Some people write. It's just, it's, it's just absolute BS. Well, I do not have the Marvel comic on our program notes, not that we can't discuss it, but no, we are no. always, we're, we are going to discuss Chris Christie, of course. How could you not discuss Chris Christie today? But the main, in terms of big news affecting us in the near future, is going to be the war on poverty, or mm. now Obama's little modification, his latest installment on the war yeah. of poverty, which is what he's calling a year of action on poverty. He wants to have a year of action to continue the failed war on poverty into a sixth decade. We're going to discuss this and a lot more. If you want to check out the program notes, go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com and scroll down on the top post, which is corresponding to today's show. If you want to join in on the discussion, you know, go over there, check out all the stories, the links to the stories that we plan to discuss. And if you want to chime in live, do so here in the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio or call in 760 760- Eight 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 five eight one seven. Again, that's seven six zero eight 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 five eight one seven. We have a couple of follow-ups from last week. If you see over in the program notes, I have a link. It says "crony fascism" with a question mark, and that's because a listener named James Douglas Dahl posted at the "Don't Let It Go on Her" page that he had listened to the show last Friday. He's angry that his pet peeve for several years now is the term "crony capitalism." He says it unfairly besmirches capitalism with activity that is by definition not capitalism. He says he simply uses the term cronyism, but now he's settling on a more precise term, which he calls crony fascism. He says fascism, of course, as an economic system, allows for private ownership of property, you would say nominative 
private ownership of property, right? Because it's, it's ownership and name only if you can't do all the things that you want with it. But he says it regulates that property to the extent that the title is meaningless. That's right. He says crony support of business is effectively no different than regulation of that business's competition. It's simply the opposite side of the same coin. For that reason, cronyism is fascism, and the term crony fascism is the proper appellation. And he says, thanks for making the point. Capitalism is one thing, not a, not a continuum from freedom to command, but free markets alone. Now, I don't know that we even used the term crony fascism last week. Do you remember that we used that, Bosch? No. no? I, good term? What do you yeah. think? Any downside? Crony fascism. So thanks, James, for sending that I'm in. I'm actually uh, biting my tongue here because uh, there have been a number of listeners who have complained over the years, over the last couple of years, that I interrupt Amy too much, and I think I might do that. But then one recently said, uh, referred to, described my interruption as uh, verbal diarrhea, and I think that's way out of line. Uh, this is, uh, I think some objectivists think that sometimes that this is supposed to be like a lecture course of some sort, because that's what we you know, usually listen to, objectivists. This is a conversation. It's a live radio show. It's about uh, uh, weekly topics, pop culture, culture, war, uh, religion, uh, politics, you know, philosophy. It covers the it covers the whole um, the whole gamut spectrum yeah. gamut. So I just uh, I don't know. I I think I'm going to be a little more conscious about certain things. I mean, being called verbal debris is not the reason why, but it's just. I I enjoy being on the show. I want to continue being on the show, but I definitely don't want to take away from it in any way. So you might not hear me, uh, you know, as as much as uh, as I've been on the show. That's all. And uh, I don't want to interrupt Amy. I mean, Amy's always on a, on 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 her track, and I do tend to do that. And um, but you know, it doesn't what? make for good radio. I guess. So, some people go to Luminosity, and I host this show. Okay, so what I mean by that is when you interrupt me. I have to work to keep my train of thought. But also, a lot of times, the stuff that you're saying is not necessarily taking me off the track, but it's making a valuable contribution. It's sometimes... Uh, I guess. I mean, it, if, if verbal diarrhea is a contribution, you know, <laughs> if that's what she's... That consider. was totally out of line. It was that out of line. And, and it's just uh, a few of the things just, just have gotten to me, I think, this past week. We could do an anonymous know. poll, and we could see how many of the people who listen think that you interrupt too I, much. I just don't want to take away but from the show. I think I, what we have to have is we have I to have the, the hand show. signals, you know? Remember the guy who was at, uh, uh, what's his name, Nelson Mandela's funeral? Yeah. <laughs> Right, and well, we got the sign language, actually, so we have to get who, that guy to like. Yeah, one guy okay, right it's though. okay to interrupt now, but then I'm making all kinds of weird signs. Well, maybe right we now. needed someone so to not, actually. Not okay uh, to <laughs> maybe we need sign language for me though. Maybe on the computer, someone can actually, you know, make uh, make it clear what what it is that that I am saying. I'm not as articulate as Amy. Everyone knows that. I know that. So I, I make no bones about that. Um, I'm a I'm a cartoonist. I try to get my ideas out there in that way, and I enjoy being on the show, but. If it's going to, you know, enough people, I think, have complained to the point where I might have to just consider certain uh, changes. That's all. Well, yeah. I don't know. We we definitely have to have you participating here. I don't think it's nearly as fun without you. As much as I say, oh, my gosh, she interrupts me, then I do a show without you. It just doesn't have the same energy. So I think that's I think that's wrong. Not not allowed. Other. Anyway, I'm done for today. No, you're not. No? No, you're okay. not. I'll okay. interrupt you. Be careful. <laughs> so next on the program notes, I have an old blog post, Liberals Ten Commandments Post 9-11. Why? Because someone shared it on a site on Facebook called Islam Exposed, and I just got a ton of traffic 
to my blog. And, and, you know, that particular blog post gets traffic pretty much every day. Pretty much every day people read that from different places. I think it's stumble upon. Yeah, it's called Liberals Ten Commandments post nine eleven. And if you haven't read it, definitely go read it. But it's an oldie from two thousand eleven, I believe. And you know, ever so often it gets shared by somebody. But this is unbelievable the the traffic that I've gotten. And I was able finally to track it down by uh, somebody liked the blog post. And I went ahead and asked him, where did you find it? And there's this site on Facebook called Islam Exposed. So thanks for sharing that out there. And anybody who's a new listener because of that post, welcome listening to the show. Bosch got a bunch of traffic too. They shared some of Bosch's work. So that's excellent. So you ready to get into show proper? I was going to ask you one question. Have you been listening to Mark Levin lately, Bosch? He got back after a two-week vacation, which to me is way too long. I mean, honestly, even Rush got back before that. Uh, it's out of sight, out of mind. I forgot about him. I got to say, I mean, he's my favorite talk show host outside of Amy and Terry Bruce and some others, but uh, I haven't heard him. I've been listening to uh, the Breaking Bad podcasts with with the whole cast talking about the uh, the, the uh, episodes, episode by episode. So I haven't heard him yet. Uh, he's, he's probably on fire. He's probably good. I just haven't heard him yet. I got to listen to the podcasts. There's a whole kerfuffle because he is first of all in disagreement with but has also called a lot of names about Napolitano and um some other commentators and I forget Napolitano uh Judge Napolitano they have a disagreement about whether the states should be able to nullify unconstitutional federal laws as an extra check and whether that's a constitutional procedure and this spilled over to the public in, in what way so, was he on a show or no? Well, what, what Levin has done, I guess, is he's taken a stand against this. He thinks it's not constitutional. And he has called the people who support that procedure fringe. Okay. And upon them, upon, you know, including, his, I think, Walter Williams, Judge Andrew Napolitano. Well, let, me say, let me say one thing about that. Napolitano can't trust him worth nothing when it comes to the war. He's an idiot when it comes to the war. He's like a, Paul, he's like a, a Ron Paul. And Walter Williams, who I've always enjoyed when he filled in for Rush, he was on uh, Alex Jones' show. Mm. So that tells you right there that these guys are pretty warped in certain ways. So, you know, if I'm going to choose between Mark Levin and these guys, he's far more consistent, far better. But, you know, certain issues he might be better in, maybe uh, Napolitano or even um, uh, Walter Williams. But overall, Levin makes a lot more sense. The guy who's challenged him to a debate is a guy named Tom Woods who I guess has his own show. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Well, if, a guy, if I don't know his name and he's calling, is he, is he the one who said... Uh, Debate me or shut up. Yeah, yeah he's the uh, one. That's, yeah. You're, and that's supposed, to be, that's supposed to appeal to someone to go you know, debate someone. If they say, debate me or shut up, Levin will eat him alive. But anyway. Well, he's trying to entice him because he wants to not only debate him, he wants to bet him and say that if Levin wins the debate, and the debate is supposed to be on this issue of whether the states can nullify a federal law, whether that's a constitutional procedure, uh, Wood says that if he wins, then Levin is supposed to donate $10,000 to the Tenth Amendment Center, and that if uh, Levin wins, that he will donate $10,000, Tom Woods will donate $10,000 to the charity. General asks, wins yeah. the, the debate according to whom? What's, oh, and, impartial judges, if they can agree on impartial judges. And now, is Levin open to, be, to the debate? Don't know. I haven't heard of Pete. Okay. I, I, I was I hoping this, that yeah, you would tell me. Yeah, I haven't heard. Yeah. People in the chat room here at Blog Talk Radio, Matt says nullification, not so much. Uh, Daniel Henry says that Thomas Jefferson is fringe, and huh. apparently there's, there's other founding fathers as well. Maybe what? Madison, I think, is 
the one that was named by Tom Woods. Anyway, you can find the little video in which Tom Woods challenges live into the debate. It was posted in the comment section of well, last week's Well, this guy Tom Woods show. seems like he's, uh, you know, um, uh, I guess listener baiting. You know, he wants some mm-hmm. listenership, and if you can get oh, he it, he plugged his show. He yeah. plugged his show during the video as well. If you can well. get mm-hmm. you know Mark Levin, he would blow up. So who knows? And he he says, Mark Levin, you know, he uses names that Rachel Maddow uses against these people. Like what? Like, I guess, fringe, calling Napolitano fringe and stuff. But, you know, he's he's clearly saying, I'm a better talk show host than Mark Levin throughout the video as well. I think I'm more known than just Tom Woods, I mean, honestly. That, That could be true. But you could Google. Actually, Tom Woods is a common name so if you googled him it wouldn't right. mean anything but i don't even know this, this this tom woods talk show host i have no idea zero tom woods radio.com i remember I, see I, remember. I i got my brain imprinted by the video by the way thanks for support on the uh, chat room i i appreciate it. i just i really do gotta i think we got enough complaints where i have to actually just think about things and do it a little better i think we have to have hand signals or i have to get stronger right so that if i feel like i'm in the middle of a point no, and maybe you I really wear, can't interrupt no, me maybe i have I, to just like Push Maybe you I can away. wear a muzzle while you while you speak, and then have to strap it off. It takes about five minutes to strap <laughs> off. That way, I can't. You know? But I mean, sometimes I need a break too. I can't just talk, 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 talk. And we need people calling in as well. But we had well, a, we had a lot of good callers last week. So Robert thank you, everybody. He says I'm more listenable than Mark Levin. Well, I sure as hell appreciate that. I, I, I mean, I will say this. I wish Mark Levin had my voice. I mean, just you know, just just in terms of listening. <laughs> Uh, I do like my voice. I'm not as articulate as, a, as I like to be, but uh, his voice it was irritating at first. Now it's become his voice, and that's it. Uh, I'm not even annoyed by it anymore. Yeah, Mark Levin, Bob Dylan, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as annoying as Bob Dylan, Levin, no. right? No. Mm, or yes. No. Yes? Okay. Well, let's, let's go ahead and start talking about some of the meat of the show here. The Obamacare nightmare continues. Big news, as if you're surprised, there are 13,000 Obamacare applicants who have no records with uh-huh. health insurers. And they actually have come up with a term for these people. They call them the Obamacare orphans. Oh. <laughs> they are orphans because they do not have who yet a home term? with the health insurer. They have, they have enrolled, funny. but they are, there's, <laughs> there's not yet a home. It says that record-keeping snags, this is a story from Breitbart.com, Record-keeping snags could complicate the start of insurance coverage this month as people begin using policies they purchased under the healthcare overhaul. It says insurance companies are still trying to sort out cases of so-called health insurance orphans, customers for whom the government has a record that they enrolled, but the insurer does not. So even though the Obamacare website, healthcare.gov, operates seemingly okay on the front end, although it keeps trying to shove you into Medicare or Medicaid or whatever it is that it wants, you know, some government program, it works, even though it works on the front end, on the back end apparently is a bunch of nightmares. It's interesting because, I mean, listen to the type of kind of backwards, arcane procedures that are being used. It says the orphan files are particularly concerning because the companies have no automated way to identify the presumed policyholder. It says they say that they have to manually compare the lists, manually compare the lists of enrollees that the government sends them with their own records. Why? Because the government has never built an automated system that would do the work much faster. I have one acronym for these people. Hmm. NSA. 
The NSA seems to be able to crunch a whole bunch of stuff when they want to keep records of our private phone conversations, but the government just can't seem to get it together when it comes to something as simple as being able to reconcile the people who say they have enrolled on the government website with the list of insurance company enrollees. Backwards. Dark ages. Caveman stuff. (laughs) Right? Uh, speaking of which, so, you know, what, what, what's the gist here is that there's going to be a lot of blips in the road. There's going to continue to be issues with people getting proper insurance coverage, having access to their doctors, the doctors being compensated properly, all things that are going to prevent you from getting health care as easily. I mean, supposedly this was to increase people's so-called access to health care. I think that there's a lot of interference. Now, I personally had a big issue with changing over to a new health insurance policy in January. You know what that was, right, Bosch? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I had to put new health insurance cards in my wallet. And when I did that, I forgot to put my wallet back in my purse. And then I went to the grocery store to shop and I had no wallet. So I blame Obama for that. Uh-huh. Whatever. Uh, but But I put a link on Don't Let It Go to the Whole30. And I did that for two things. Yeah, we're still on the Whole30. Yay! We're keeping our New Year's yeah. resolution, which is awesome. The other, So I might say, okay, disclaimer, right? Because we're still not operating on full-octane blood sugar, although I feel much better than I did last yeah. week. We're still not able to eat our beloved chocolate, though, so that is a problem. But I, I brought one of these Lara bars that we are allowed mm. to eat so that we can chew at the appropriate moments while discussing Chris Christie. But the Whole30, I think, is a way that people who are listening to this show can take their health into their own hands to some extent. And just in brief, what the Whole30 does is tells you for 30 days to refrain from things that tend to be irritants or toxic to a large portion of the population. And those things are grains including both gluten and non-gluten grains, including corn, which I don't know whether it's a grain or a seed or whatever it it technically qualifies as, but corn is also excluded for the 30 days. 30 days free of dairy and 30 days free of any added sugar in the foods that you consume. You can eat all sorts of fat, both saturated and non-saturated fat, A lot of healthy fats is what they emphasize in the Whole30, but feel free to eat a lot of meat fats. But eat fruits and vegetables, nuts and meats, basically, for 30 days and see what happens. The whole point is to clear your body of those big things that seem to be irritants to a lot of people in the population and just see how you feel. And then if you suddenly say, okay, well, I feel better, then you know that one of those things that you cut out of your diet was causing you a problem. So then what do you do? Once you have your body all cleaned out after 30 days, and I think the 30 days is both to clean out your body, which generally happens within the first couple weeks, and then also to instill a habit of eating this way. I I would assume that somebody who didn't feel good after about three weeks would probably stop this and go back to whatever they were doing. But assuming you still feel good at the end of the 30 days, then what do you do? You slowly reintroduce things but you do it one at a time so that you can try to determine what the effect is of that thing on your system. There's so much conflicting dietary advice out there. And even if there was a lot of good dietary advice, 
the way that that's going to apply to your particular body metabolism, genetic modifications. Who knows what you've got going on? And, and the only way is to treat your own body as a laboratory. I don't think Whole30 could possibly exclude all of the things that could possibly be irritating to every single person in the population. It's, it's a general We're thing, so, something that will work for most people. And then once you realize, okay, something that I've been eating is, has been bothering me, you go back and, and add it back in. But I bet a whole bunch of issues that people have that they go to doctors for could be helped tremendously by trying the whole 30 and figuring out what in the world's going on okay. in there. Cause, Bosch, what have you noticed yourself? Um, I don't know. I mean, some things that I'd rather talk about, but um, just sleeping better. Definitely sleeping better, feeling less bloated. Definitely feeling less bloated and having more energy and getting a little more tired by the end of the night mm-hmm. you know, where I don't have to stay up you know, until the midnight hours, past the midnight hours. Well, you were drinking caffeine later in the I day. Was, so I that's was. pretty easy there, right? They're just cutting yeah. caffeine in later, later but in the I've day. But I've been feeling great. Yeah. Uh, I'm starting to get the hang of the food, even though it's not as tasty, even though some of it is actually. But uh, I'm enjoying it. You're missing the sweets? No. Not too bad? Not much. Not too bad? No. First several days, more? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the first week is the hardest, and then it gets a little easier. Digestive issues typically are caught. I mean, that you know, it's food, right? So if, if one of these foods is something that you have a problem with, the first thing you're going to notice is a lack of digestive issues. Maybe you don't feel as bloated. Or I had a lot of pain from eating I don't know what, and I guess we'll find out what that yeah. is because I have not had significant pain, stomach pain, since starting. I'm assuming... I'm assuming it's dairy because I was never a huge over consumer of grains anyway. And I was never a huge consumer of sugar really too bad, although more than I thought. But it could be sugar. It could be dairy. I'm suspecting dairy has been the big issue for me. But you find out after the 30 days. Anyway, I encourage everybody, go read up on it and try it. Use your own body as your own laboratory and figure out what is true in your own case. It's not like you have to change your diet to this for the rest of your life, but you have to do it in order to determine whether these things have been bothering you. Robert Nasir in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio says that it's a great start. He says it's a great reset. Yeah, and the idea is yeah. that it resets your habits, it resets your taste buds a, a bit too because if you have conditioned yourself, especially over the holidays, mm. eating all those sweets, right? But, you know, one of the, the horrible things, I was sitting in a doctor's office yesterday. I just had to get a checkup and everything's cool with me, so don't worry about that. Everything's good. As a matter of fact, it's a little better, I think, since I started the Whole30. But... Uh, in the doctor's office, they had on the TV CNN, some sort of accent health network or whatever that they like to put on in doctor's offices. And they're giving out this dietary advice. And they're saying, go for low-fat dairy and go for whole grains. And I'm thinking, these are the things. First of all, I never did whole fat, I mean, excuse me, low-fat dairy anyway. I always opted for the whole fat because what do they put in low-fat dairy? Either sugar or other disgusting chemicals that are just going to gunk up your system. So why do that to yourself? So no low-fat dairy for me. Uh, whole grains, cut all this stuff out. I had already done this. And this is the kind of stuff that they're telling people who have weight problems and other health issues that they're supposed to stock up on. I just, I don't know. And I mean, the other thing, the diet advice everywhere is bad. I saw a box. It was on one of these. Um, there's There was an article on The Guardian UK, which I would not include here, that was about food stamps, you know, part of the war on poverty stuff. And doctors in the United States, some Obama 
you know, lackeys have warned that if they discontinue food stamps, that diet rate of diabetes is going to go up and blah, 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 because people, I guess, are going to eat more bad food or I, I don't know. So then they had a picture, on, you know, in conjunction with the article, they had a picture of a box, a food package that they were preparing for some poor people. And what did it have in it? Whole grain pasta, right? All sorts of other things with grains in it. They're just giving people the wrong stuff. Now, I don't know if everybody went on this kind of diet. Could everybody afford to be on this kind of diet? I know that well-fed actually lays out a plan where you don't have to spend a million dollars to go on this diet. But anyway, State Defiance in the chat room says, personally, I wouldn't drink anything that comes out of a cow but that's just me. Um, let me ask you, though. You just tweeted earlier, so I want you to answer this. You tweeted that we should be eating chocolate. Some of chocolate is dairy, and but, that comes out of the cow. you know why I said that? Why? Because we'd be talking about the other cow. Oh, no, of course. We're going to oh. be talking about Chris Christie. But why is he wishing on us the dairy that, in the chocolate? But you don't have, you honestly don't have any dairy? We started our tradition. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. We, we have a tiny bit of dairy right now, and it's butter and clarified butter and a little bit of unclarified butter, and that's, and that's about it. But, yeah, check it out. Please do. Take care of your health. I want all of us to be as healthy as possible despite our government. Let's go ahead and talk about our favorite guy. So what are we going to eat here? See what we got to talk about, Chris Christie? And, and we're starting it so much earlier. This is 25 after the hour. You're listening to Don't Let It Go on Her. This is Amy Peacock, cartoonist Bosch Washington, sitting here. And we're going to talk about Chris Christie. We used to eat chocolate bars when talking about Chris Christie. And what do I have now? I have a coconut cream Lara bar. Do you think that will survive? I mean, yeah. is this, is, it's going to hold us? Sure. You want a bite? No. Yeah. Okay, so everybody knows what's going on with Chris Christie. Chris Did Christie, uh, think, huh? anyone out there hear uh, his mea gulpa? Mea gulpa. <laughs> I couldn't. I can't stand the sight of him. Like Obama, I can't stand to look at him or hear him. But uh, it, it was it was pretty uh, sad. This uh, writer on Breitbart said that it was a master class in how to uh, basically, uh, you know, basically how to lie and how to BS people. It was mm-hmm. really a disgusting compliment. And I leave that to political hacks, not writers at Breitbart. So I don't know where the hell guy the, the guy's coming from. Well, listen to this, right? So I have to chew. A little bit while we're talking about Chris Christie. Mm. Chris Christie. Try to say that with your mouthful. Chris Christie. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Um, well, it's proper that we're saying it with a mouthful. Okay. <laughs> the Guardian UK is the place that I went for my news this morning. I don't know. I just I liked the selection and, and the tone of the stories better. But even they started out the story on Chris Christie as Chris Christie's bravura press oh. conference performance on Thursday. Oh. Bravura press conference. What do you think? I mean, it's just disgusting to me. This guy, excuse me, lied his fat ass off, fired some people, and he said, I had nothing to do with this. I knew nothing about it. It was an absolute lie. Now, let me ask you this. Is it possible in your mind that he hired these people, had them working for him, and didn't know everything that they were doing and I mean, that they were doing this kind of stuff that, behind his back? That basically? he's Obama? No. They'd be terrified of not doing it without his knowledge. I mean, he's a thug. He's a bully. He would fire them in a split second if, if you heard about this before he even broke through. So that's BS. They can't make a move without him, especially a big move like this, because uh, it, it, it will all come back to him. So why would he give them that? I mean, why would, he, why would they do that? Challenge their own career also. Look, he bought them off. He paid them off. He said, listen, shut up. 
don't mention the fact that I knew about it. And I'll go out there and I'll cry and I'll say I'm heartbroken, I'm heartburned, you know, whatever. It's interesting because this article, hey, wait, I have to chew some food. Ah, there we go. Okay. The article here says, this is a yummy bar, by the way. Yeah. It says that the two people that he fired, one of them was Bridget Kelly, his former deputy chief of staff, and then David Wildstein. He's an appointee to the Port Authority. This guy, he resigned last month. I guess he saw the writing on the wall yeah. last month, right? Yeah, and well, well, he knew that Christie wouldn't budge, right? So then yeah. the issue is, are these people going to talk? And Wildstein, everybody saw this in the news. He went before a hearing. I forget who called him. It was the Transportation Committee of the New Jersey State Assembly. He went there under subpoena, and he consistently invoked the Fifth Amendment. Sure. And so he didn't say anything. And I guess he's not going to say anything, as far as we know. But then this other employee Kelly he uh, Christie said that he hadn't spoken to her and he said quote he was quite frankly not interested in the explanation at the moment whatever her explanation was for doing this and I guess she's the one who wrote the famous email time for some traffic problems in Fort Lee I mean do you think that she would do that no. without having some sort of implicit, tacit understanding with I mean, Christie that that's a, part uh, of her job you know, bring it to, to a small example it might not be perfect but it's not bad if I just come on the show and start saying things that you absolutely <laughs> would find unacceptable, if you take a break for like five minutes, I start saying things that just really that you would find absolutely unacceptable. That I mean, no, meaning I I say things that we're in sync. She's in sync with Chris Christie. This is the gang. This is a little gang. He is a thug. You know he's a thug. Uh, and this is just, he got caught. And he's like, and the only thing he's sad about, heartbroken about, is that his presidential hopes have dipped a little. And I, I wish they would die, but, but they've dipped. Every, everybody thinks he's great still. I mean, John Boehner says, who's John Boehner? He's a piece of crap also. So. But not just John Boehner, the Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal stinks, especially when it comes to editorials. They stink. you got a few individuals in there sometimes when they write there's some good stuff, but overall, they stink. They're also, they're, a crony, they're into the cronyism in, in Washington. They're into the big hack politicians. They were, as far as I know, they, they backed up Romney. So a lot of them are, are full of crap. And of course, a Christie would be their guy. And this is no big deal. And also, what really, what's really pissed me off is um, other people on Twitter and Facebook, friends and, and whatever, uh, saying, you know what? This is not as bad as Obama. Are you kidding me? You're going to try to compare? You're going to try to say, well, since it's not as bad as Obama, he's great. He's fine. This is a terrible thing that this guy did. It's terrible. And if you really think about it, if you're stuck in that traffic and think about it, so wait a minute, this traffic I'm in is because of a political vendetta from right. one politician to another? Right. This is sick. And this pig, to have that kind of power as a governor, imagine how much power he would have as a president and what kind of damage he would do, what kind of vendettas he would have. Who knows? The people, I don't want to know. The people who are just ready to dismiss this scandal simply because of the way that the media has treated it. And believe me, <sighs> I admit that the media, that Absolutely. the Obama administration, that everybody is piling on in a way no that doubt. they wouldn't have if this guy was a Democrat, okay? Um, you know, Wall Street Journal, the piece that we'll go to in a second, talks about the IRS scandal and how here, you know, there's firings and there's this, but with the IRS scandal, you know, uh, Lois Lerner gets a cushy retirement with a right. pension and the blah, you know, and the media treats everything different. So everybody is... True, treating it differently because supposedly Christie's a Republican. Ha. Um, but just 
drop all that political crap and think about the substance of a leader, a supposedly, you know, an executive in government using his power to basically, yeah, conduct a political vendetta, a vendetta attack. And, And what he did, I mean, you know, assuming, again, we have to wait till the truth comes out on this, you know, maybe. Well, we know. But, but I, I would suspect that at the very least what, what has happened is that he hired these people and he said, yeah, you know, do some stuff, but I don't really want to know about it. And that's probably the conversation that happened. And then they're doing whatever it was that they were she doing. She would never go uh, willy-nilly just off on her own. On the, She wouldn't do that. She wouldn't. She, I just, she'd be terrified for a I job. Just, I just can't see doing this that. This is in sync with Chris Christie, whether he gave the order directly or told him, look, you know how I am, right? Okay. That guy really pissed me off. So, you know, do something. Who knows? The, but, I, the idea of stealing time from people's lives that way yeah. because an executive, a governor – you know, or and president or whoever. I'm, I'm, you know, and I, I keep saying executive in the abstract. Why? Because he wants to be president. Imagine what he would do as president if this is what he does as governor. And the idea that this is just no big deal. Yeah. Uh, because Obama's terrible. Hours terrible. of those people's lives that day gone because this guy's mad because he doesn't get an endorsement from also, the mayor. This is a terrible thing. And you know there is more than that. You can't have an isolated terrible thing. And, that's, and uh, besides that, you're great. He stinks. Well, and, and, and take the same analysis and apply it to the employees. Are you going to believe that these employees did this and that there was nothing else that they did for the entire time that exactly they were right. working for him that was right. in that category Absolutely or just right. as bad? No, no, and, that just, he, and that he wasn't aware of any of this kind of look, stuff that they might have been doing? he hired them. They were some main people. They are him. He is them. He's trying to distance himself from them. And I, I, I'm just curious how fat the water cash was that he told them to take and shut up. I'm just curious, like, how fat it was. Well, and was it fat enough to keep the woman in particular silent? Who knows? The let's guys see. pleading the fifth whatever. Let, let's see. You know, is it actionable? I mean, would you say that abuse of executive power so, as absolutely. governor should be actionable? It definitely should be. If it's not a crime, they need to make and, one. And, you know, technically speaking, a woman did die because the, the, the EMS truck or something, it, it couldn't get through because it was too much traffic. A woman ended up dying, where, whereas if there was no traffic or less traffic, she could have to, to the hospital in time. From what I understand, supposedly the one case was uh, disproven. but. Listen, it does not matter, right? No. It, you know, this even is, if it's inconvenient, just you're sitting there in traffic. First somebody all, could have died, even somebody if it have. wasn't true. If, no doubt. Suppose it wasn't true that anybody died. We're sitting in traffic because we somebody think it's, because we think it's for some, you know, whatever the roads and that. But we find out that we are in traffic because this stinking politician wants a vendetta against another stinking politician. We're supposed to sit there and say, well, you know, Obama's worse, and we'll just sit in, the, in that traffic and take it. Never. So. I mean, it all comes down to what you think of Christie and whether you think he's lying about this or not, or whether he knew anything, whether he's innocent. I do not believe he's innocent in this. And then the second thing is people have to get back to the real world and say how severe is something like this. This is big because if he's willing to do this at the level of governor because of one city's mayor not endorsing him – just imagine the crap that he might do I think also, as president. This guy talks about, he's not a kid. He's, no. He's, Gary always talks about going across the aisle, bipartisanship, meaning, and if you don't do it, I will <laughs> throw traffic on your ass. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, but that's what he's saying. So bipartisanship or else. Well, like, wait a minute. And then, and then listen to this from The Guardian UK because there's other conduct with respect to this particular mayor that is consistent with 
the allegations in Bridgegate. It says, on Thursday, the mayor of Jersey City, Democrat Stephen Fulop, Fulop, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, it's F-U-L-O-P, he put out a statement in which he echoed the complaint of political retribution following the decision not to endorse Christie for re-election. He said that over six months, city officials' persistent requests for meeting with state commissioners and the Port Authority had been rebuffed. Mm. So mayors can usually get meetings with these state officials, but somehow he couldn't no. after he had you know, decided not to endorse Christie. It said an entire day, an entire day of meetings with state commissioners had been canceled, quote, within one hour of the time I communicated my intention not to endorse, end quote from Fulop. I mean, that is retribution, absolutely. retaliation, and then and also, they did it and inflicted pain on all the residents also, there in New Jersey. This is also part of Christie's uh, you know, desire to be as left as he can be and still be a Republican, meaning, look, where, look how left I went, and you still won't endorse me? How dare you? You know what I mean? I'm going to really break down on you, because it's like, wait a minute, it, you mean or no? He's like, I went that far left, and you're still not going to endorse me? Well, you're going to pay a price for it because I'm going to because I'm paying a price for it. Clearly, yeah, definitely. I bet mean, I, I, I couldn't imagine a Democrat that uh, you know that doesn't endorse him. Let's go ahead and take a call that we've got here. Hi, who's this? Hi, this is Debbie. Hi, hey, Debbie. Debbie. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys? Uh, we're talking about Chris Christie. So, do you have something you can eat while you talk to us? <laughs> Oh, I just finished having lunch, unfortunately. <laughs> I should have I thought of that, actually. You should have kept a bite of something. Okay, well, I'll, I'll have to bite something for you right now. Okay, here we go. Okay, so. Just, just sorry, remember, he, he's eater eating. Keep that in mind, okay? Come on. So, I mean, what do you think about this, what, what about this Christie thing? I mean, do you, I think both the, the left-wing media and the right-wing media Right-wing media partisan. are are wrong no. about this. They're both being partisan. Yeah. I mean, really, they are. They they want to yeah. they want to give up past him because because he's a Republican. They're Republicans, and they they want to jump on him because he's a Republican Democrat. That's it. Yeah, I would boss. I hope that this takes him down and makes it so he can't run for president, at least not successfully. Well, um, she could never run. She could waddle for president. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he could run for president <laughs> anyway. <laughs> no, but he's a terrible, terrible politician. He's an Islamophile. He's a statist. He he's a global warming guy. He stinks across the board. Yeah. To me, this is just the latest example. Yeah, and if this is true, then I am truly outraged by it, because like you guys were saying, it is miserable to be in traffic for all those hours, and and it is. He stole those hours from those people's lives. Deborah, Deborah, is, um, is, is, is that why I see you posting so early in the morning sometimes on the Don't Let It Go Unheard page? It's because oh you have to wake up super early to avoid traffic? Sort of, yeah. I mean, I go to the gym before work, but... but uh, Superstar! But I, if, it were not for the, if it were not for the traffic that I get stuck in after the gym, uh, I'd be able to get up later. That's definitely true um but you know yeah it's definitely much lighter at like four fifteen than it is <laughs> during rush hour <laughs> so yeah it's i mean i guess that's part of the reason that it really struck a nerve uh, mm-hmm. 
for me because of the fact that I do have a commute and um, up here in Silicon Valley, the traffic can get pretty heinous sometimes. And um, so I just really sympathize with these people's misery. And just the thought that it's just, it's a politician getting revenge on another politician for some stupid garbage like that he didn't endorse him. Not even something so bad, but just the lack of an endorsement. Just that it's so irrelevant that all these how many thousands of people were subjected to all this misery and, and they're just like pawns. And all that suffering is just irrelevant. It's all just about some politician getting revenge against some other politician. I, that blows my mind. You know, and, and, and if he's, Sorry, go ahead. I mean, you know, and, and this idea that he's going to give a press conference and because he conducted himself so well during the press conference, that's supposed to erase all the time of people's lives wasted sitting in that traffic jam I mean, that he caused. I'm, I'm sorry, one thing. For anyone to be impressed with that, that is just, it's offensive to me. It's unseemly to look at this guy up on that stage saying he's heartbroken, I'm sad. You're lying and you did something terrible and you're not fessing up to it. And that's supposed to be impressive? It's disgusting. Yeah, uh, what, uh, absolutely. They, they were, I heard him getting praised for, you know, taking such a strong stand, and Obama never would have done that. Look what happens to Obama. You know, he doesn't ever fire anyone, but Christie has fired people. But that just proves that he's throwing these political allies of his under the bus, like his fellow rats. He's throwing those yeah. under the bus. So that he you, know what I, you know what I loved? Um, I loved? I loved Dennis Miller made a great little crack about it. He says, that Chris Christie, I, I'm you know paraphrasing a little bit, but it was almost exactly this. That Chris Christie didn't waste any time throwing Kelly. Kelly is the name of that employee under the himself. <laughs> 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 I just loved it. I thought that was perfect. I like it. <laughs> so I think if if we had Dennis Miller and Bosch in the same room <laughs> talking about Chris Christie, oh, it would get really really ugly really quick. Yeah. <laughs> or really hilarious. Yeah. Depending yeah, on how you um, look. And, and, yeah. <laughs> well, I would enjoy it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's right. Um, but, you know, did, I also noticed how these people, like these high-up executives, Christy Obama, whoever, they never seem to know anything. But yet they're claiming that they want they're, – they're clamoring for absolute power, but they don't even know what's going on with the people who are – like a few feet away from them. I find that ironic. I mean, I know that the actual truth is that they do know and that they're lying about it, but it it just kind of strikes me as ironic. Yep. No, and I mean, if this was, you know, a head of any private company, a CEO of a big business, whew, he'd be in jail so fast his head would spin, you know? So. Oh, no doubt about it. And no one would be impressed if he comes out with the slickest response. No one would be like, oh, he's a rat liar. But when it comes to a politician, we expect them all to be rat bastards. Therefore, well, you know, it was a real thing. And that that was another point. Thanks for reminding me, Bosch, because that was another point I want to make. I think that even among our friends, because I've had friends on Facebook, you know, again, with whom sometimes I disagree. Most of the time I agree, you know, but. These people are, I guess, very cynical. Yes, very. It, it, there's, there's an element of people that just expects this from politicians. It's like, oh, that's no big deal. That's not good enough. I'm sorry. This is unacceptable behavior for any human being, including politicians. Absolutely. And that's how they have to be judged, by some high standards, no matter if they're lowlifes. We have to judge them by some good standards, by some actual actual standards. I mean, did any when, you, when this story was breaking, did any part of you, Debbie, for a second – 
say, oh, yeah, he's just a politician. It's no big deal? No. No, I was outraged. I, I just don't think that way. But I do think that there is that going on, that people get desensitized in that way. And it's almost like there's this kind of symbiotic relationship between the left leftists and the, Repub- the statist Republicans where the leftists horrify people so badly and, like, desensitize them to the just appalling yeah. behavior that there's a certain percentage of the population get, that gets sort of desensitized to it. So then a Republican scumbag does something slightly less horrible, and people say, oh, well, I guess he's not as bad. Like, that's, right. that's, that, that's what I hear when I hear people saying, oh, he's not as bad as Obama. Like, uh, I mean, and all who, Mark Levin has to say about that, like, so what? Everybody is not as bad. Almost everybody on earth is not as bad as Obama. That doesn't mean that he's good. That's right. That, that's the whole point. I mean, who isn't better than Obama? I mean, they say, well, he's better than Obama. Who isn't? Who isn't? I think that could be his slogan, you know, for running for president in 2016. <laughs> hey, I'm better than Obama. No, 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 no. Hey, I'm not as bad as Obama. Yeah. <laughs> not even better, but just not as bad. <laughs> so, like, the, bad, the, the level of badness is the standard. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's part of me wonders, Debbie, sometimes whether people like you and me who live in major metropolitan areas and have spent inordinate, horrible, I don't even want to know how much time sitting in traffic, whether we're more sensitive to this, that people who haven't had the experience, the frustrating experience of commuting to and from a major city, maybe they they don't understand that this is, I mean, basically well, killing most, people's most lives. Most New Jerseyans are calling him a liar. There was a poll taken. Most of them said he is lying. Wow. And because New Jersey, and I, they, and I they just, there, and he just traffic. supposedly won in a landslide, and now supposedly. they're all calling him a liar? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think they're probably right. Yep. Robert in the chat room here says that Charlie Manson is worse than Obummer, as he calls him, but not nearly as dangerous. It's yeah, true. Yeah, it's, true. It's because of the power, and that's the thing that would, you know. Exactly. You, you look at Chris Christie. He's already say, having a presidential scandal without being president. You know, you know, Chris Christie. I mean, he's already having a like pre-presidential scandal in it in his mind. But his whole thing is he needs to be president. And this is getting in the way. That's why he's sad and, and heartburned. I mean, that's, you know, heartbroken. Heartburned. <laughs> oh, sad. Any, any, anything else, Debbie, before we uh, go on to the next? No, that's all I had to say. Okay. We won't have a bigger story than this, though, so. <laughs> no, oh, definitely so not bigger. <laughs> you take care, Debbie. Thanks very much for calling in. Okay, so now we've got for Chris Christie the apologetic editorial board of the Wall Street Journal. Thanks. They they do come out with some really rotten op-eds sometimes. They really do, especially when when the whole gang gets together. This, you know, a lot of this stuff, right, that they have been pointing out, the right-wing media. It's terrible. I, well, it's, I look at it and I say, okay, you made a few true points and so what? So what? So what? Because some small, some small truths. Right. The big truth is he's a corrupt politician, and we need someone a lot better post Obama, a lot better. Yeah, I, I don't think that a Christie is going to adequately Absolutely. be able to redress the grievances and that undo, we'll have at the end of another and undo, Obama term. And undo yeah. a lot of what Obama done. Absolutely no. not. And, and things are going to have to be undone down. faster. Things are going to have to be undone I mean, a lot I mean, faster. No, it's fine. So. 
here's the thing here, right? So this is a piece from the Wall Street Journal, and they say, oh, you know, Chris Christie apologized, and he fired a deputy chief of staff, and they say, we mentioned the IRS because Christie's contrition contrasts so sharply with President Obama's handling of the tax agency's abuse of political opponents. And this is where they talk to, you know, um, he, he said he'd been lied to and et cetera. Um, and, you know, instead. I mean, he, he came out there as a victim. Yeah. I'm heartbroken. I'm sad. I can't believe this. They did this. But I mean, that's just absolute. Come on. Come on. Anyway, so they're saying that, you know, he was good because, you know, he wasn't indifferent. He showed a contrition. And they said, well, he should learn from the experience. And he says the lesson a lesson is that he has to upgrade the quality of his advisors as he moves on to the national scene. So the Wall Street Journal is just ready to continue they're, to support him. They're rah-rahing him. Yeah. I mean, they're rah-rahing him. Um, it's so bad that this one guy on Twitter, I, I said something about Christian. He came back and he said, you're an idiot. You failed kindergarten. And I said, whoa. And so I called him a Christie bitch. He wrote back, I reported you on Twitter. <laughs> he, he did. So I, I said, bullseye. I mean, you know. No, but he snapped. He absolutely snapped. And this is what people are doing right now. They're so terrified of a Hillary presidency that they want. They think this guy can beat Hillary. He can't beat Hillary. He can't. He is Hillary. He's Hillary. You know, Hillary is Chris Christie with a suit. Right. With, with a dress, excuse me. Right. And he's, right. he's Hillary Clinton with a suit. That's the difference. Now, one point that they brought up, and, th and this is true, right? It says the Obama administration quickly leaked to the media that the U.S. attorney is investigating the lane closures as a criminal matter. But, of course, did they do anything with the IRS yeah. probe? Yeah. No, not at all. So here's the IRS using its power to keep 501c4 groups now, from the, getting their tax-exempt the, status as they should be able to. The Republicans could have and should have done something about the, all of those scandals, and they didn't. So what's the Wall Street Journal say about them? That's true. They could have and should have, true. and they didn't. And, and moreover, if Chris Christie was in charge of the people who could have investigated the IRS, he wouldn't have done Absolutely it. Absolutely not. Not a good point, because he would not have. You know why? Because it, it's not really bipartisan. You know, it's not going across the aisle. You could really got to because his whole thing. He says, "Compr, I want to make compromise happen." You know, like uh, you know, like crap happens. His whole thing is compromise, compromise, compromise. Go across the aisle. So he wouldn't have done anything against Obama. Now listen, this is uh, compared to using the IRS against political opponents during an election campaign. Closing traffic lanes for four days is jaywalking. So what happened? They said this? Yeah. They minimize it? They euphemize what happened? Yes. Now, were they in that traffic? I know. I'm saying, it's just it's really pathetic. These guys are desperate, and they know they know what's up now. They're like, oh, man, our guy probably is not going to be the guy. Our electable pretend. guy. Yeah. Our electable guy. Like the last two were electable. <laughs> I called them. I have a cartoon. I said, the uh, GOP Three Stooges. It's uh, McCain, Romney, and Christie. The three electable guys who can't be elected. No, and I, I don't. I don't agree that he's any more electable than somebody who is good. Yes. Again, Ted Cruz is not perfect. No. But why isn't Ted Cruz electable even more so than Chris Christie? Because exactly. he actually has principles. And this guy has an actual scandal—a real, living, breathing, fire-breathing scandal—and uh, Ted Cruz doesn't. But Ted Cruz is some, you know. If you go over to my new blog at News Sandwich, I posted this week a Chris Christie News Sandwich on the day that all of this broke. Actually, it was a super sub <laughs> that, that day. 
I didn't make any joke like that on my blog. And I just leave people the, you know, the juxtaposition of Chris Christie with a name news sandwich. You can do whatever you want with that. But that just my blog is called news sandwich. So there's no option there at all. But, you know, I repeat, I say I, Chris Christie would make a terrible president due to his status policies. Nope. So for me, releasing all this information about this scandal, I think that's good news because I'd like to see the guy out of there. And, and again, it's, you know, what would somebody like this, who's willing to do this at the state level, mm-hmm. exactly right. petty, vindictive garbage and at the wh- expense of citizens? And with full power, he'd mm-hmm. pull back, he'd pull his punches. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. He would unleash on, on all of his enemies, whether they be right or left. And, and, you know, the Wall Street Journal or the Guardian, I, I can't remember which one, but they were saying, you know, he had planned to spend this year basically paving the way for a 2016 run and, you know, generate all this positive press coverage and blah, blah, blah. And uh, you know, this week he was talking about the DREAM Act that he signed into law. And that act, what does it do? It does something that nobody who calls himself a Republican Absolutely. should be doing, no. which is expand subsidies for education in the state. Basically what they're doing is they're saying, you know, and here's the thing, I'm for a proper open immigration policy. You know, again, you would screen people who are applying to be residents or citizens of the United States according to whether they have any, you know, bad intentions against us, criminal intentions, if they're part of a war effort against us, which there's a whole lot of people who are right now, you know, you want to make sure that you don't let those people in, they don't have diseases, whatever. But other than that, people should be free to immigrate. So I'm all in favor of open immigration. But what I'm not in favor of is government handouts that encourage illegal immigration. Again, all these people, all they had to do was just be there illegally for a certain amount of time using the free government schools and then they can get subsidized college education at the expense of the taxpayers of New Jersey. Again, he is proposing and he has, he signed it into law. So what are they doing now? They are going to be stealing money, stealing money. That's what government does with taxes. You, why do you pay? Because you'll be in jail. If you won't, you have a gun pointed at your head. Okay. You pay because you are forced to stealing from some taxpayers in New Jersey to subsidize the college education of people who came there illegally through no fault of the New Jersey taxpayers. That's ridiculous. And this guy calls himself a Republican. Republicans are supposed to be for smaller, limited government, supposedly more for free markets. This is going in exactly the opposite direction. So, I, well, I think you know, it's great that on the week that he signs us into honestly, law, it's not just you know it gets totally totally uh you know crowded out of the news by a scandal no uh, i make all the fat jokes about christy but if you really look at him he is our government personified he is he is he doesn't have a limited small diet you know what i mean he eats like a pig and and it shows and you know he's supposedly on, on his diet to whatever he's still overweight he's still you know a walking heart attack and he looks like government and he wants to be the guy he wants to run the show he wants to run america and this is the guy that's, that we want to run America? No, not at all. There are so many guys better than him. So many, even you know, ladies out there. Not that I mean ladies in all politics, but there, of course there are across the across the country that are better than him to actually be president of, of the United States of America. And again, he has to be knocked out, and it's good because I think he knocked himself out, which is always preferable. You know, you want people to knock themselves out so there's no chance for him to come back. 
So this news sandwich, did you think it ended off kind of lame? Because I was looking for another good news story about Chris Christie, and that is really huh. hard to find. So the only other one I was able to find was there was a story from NewJersey.com which said that national media outlets apparently now feel comfortable taking swaths at Christie. And, of course, what? that has increased over the yeah, last several has. days. What was the joke that Jay Leno made? Uh, Jay Leno said something about, um, ah, what was it, what was it? I'll find it in one second. Okay, go ahead and find it. You but also, it. the Daily News said uh, about his presidential hopes, fat chance, you know. <laughs> very, very bad. They are really taking pot shots <laughs> at him out there. And not definitely not part of my style, but can you Ch- find it? Jay Leno said, now that Christie is denying everything, he sounds even more presidential. I love it. That's perfect. I love it. That is perfect. Because that's what Obama does all the time, yeah. too. Oh, I, I didn't know anything. What are you talking about? I don't know anything. I just go to Hawaii. You know, it's like, it, also, again, like the Breitbart guys and some others, you know, oh, he masterfully covered it up. It was, it was a masterful cover-up. And first of all, it's not covered up. People are going after him. People want to find out the truth, whether for partisan hack reasons or people just looking for the truth. And I think the truth will unearth the fact that he was in on it. So we'll As see. I understand it, now there have been lawsuits filed. Yeah. So even if the federal government doesn't, poke its nose in, which yeah. I guess it's going to. And are these, willing to, are the these people willing to perjure themselves? You know what I mean? Are they willing to perjure themselves for him? I doubt it. I doubt it. We'll see. If it gets down to that, I doubt it. We're going to find out soon enough. But anyway, I was pleased. I was pleased that he set up this whole Dream Act thing, and he was, you know, and he, and he was, you know, he was horrible. He he sounds like any big government hack because he said something like, this proves that government can do things yeah. for you. Yes, and, yes. And also his uh, tactics with the, with the traffic, did that prove that government could do things for us? Oh, it could do very bad things for us. Uh, New York Post has ignorance is Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. That yeah. is perfect. That is so, <laughs> so perfect. We're getting close to the top of the hour here. So I don't know. Do you think we have time to get into this NSA story a little bit? Actually, I probably do. And then we could go ahead and get into some of the other stuff. I don't know, actually, because I've got a whole news sandwich, Bosh. So anything more about Chris Christie before? I mean, really, this is just along the theme of this year. Here he is. He is a big government establishment politician. He would be just as bad as if we elected John Boehner for president, if not worse. Absolutely. And I have no desire to support him, to apologize for him. And, you know, like I said, yes, it's true that the left-wing media is attacking him and they're terrible and they have a double standard and all the things that the Wall Street Journal says. It's not anything substantive. They do it because he's a Republican, because he has the title Republican. That's it. So if if we want to criticize him for substantive reasons and they want to do it for a partisan hack, you know, hackery, so what? We happen to align on there? It is what it is. I think these people are terrified of being on the side of the left. Like, am I a leftist? If I, no, you're not. This guy is a terrible politician. And his opponents, he gave his opponents red meat. He gave it to them. He said, guys, you can eat me alive now. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it all comes down to, do you believe he was involved? I do. Do you believe that what he did was Terrible. significant? Absolutely. And then... Someone was it, it, someone was asking on Facebook, well, is it really an actionable offense? If it's not, it should be. Yes. I believe it probably is. Yes. Specifically, I mean, purposefully closing down certain roads in order to make someone pay politically. And who pays for it, really? The people do. No. The New, New Jerseys, New Yorkers. I mean, this is... And I, I just think it's a sad state of affairs when a number of the people who are on our side 
seem to be so cynical yeah. about politicians Absolutely right. such that the substance of this scandal doesn't right. outrage them. Yeah. I, mean, I still get outraged. I always do. And that's a good sign. Uh, we're not, you know, we're not beaten yet. And that's the whole thing. Because once you start saying that, well, you know, they're all rats, but I'm going to vote for this rat because he's not as bad as the other rats. You're finished. I mean, you, re- you really are. As a person with standards, as an American, as a patriot, because if you love the country, you can't stand this guy being being president, even being considered. Get him off the stage. You know what I think it is, again, and it goes back to when we were talking about Ted Cruz and people were saying, okay, you know, you support Ted Cruz or you don't support Ted Cruz. And if you support him, then you really shouldn't criticize him so much because you're going to just – no. I support the less-than-perfect candidate within a context – and I criticize them. Yes, same here, ditto. And you make a judgment within a context as to how less than perfect you'll accept. Chris Christie is way below my minimum standard for what I'll accept. Oh man! And, and that's it. Way so below. I'm. Anyway, we're done with Christie for the yeah. for the hour. This is Don't Let It Go Unheard. You're listening to Amy Peacock. We've got cartoonist Bosch Foston here quiet, in actually. the in the studio with me. I I interrupted too much. I did. <laughs> Let's talk about our favorite NSA, our favorite agency. You going to be back in a yeah, sec? I'm back in a while. Uh, no, you come back in a I, sec. I don't want to hurt the people's ears. I mean, I don't know. I'm going to start beating up Bosch here in the uh, in the studio. Okay, NSA. NSA makes final push to retain most mass surveillance powers. This is a story from the Guardian UK, and I guess very soon. Obama is going to announce what changes, if any, will be made to the NSA's surveillance program. And in that context, there's a bunch of them who have been testifying or pleading, please, please, please don't take our toys away. Please don't take our toys away. Here's the Guardian UK. It says the NSA and its allies are making a final public push to retain as much of their their controversial mass surveillance powers as they can before President Barack Obama's forthcoming announcement about the future scope of U.S. surveillance. Security officials concede a need for greater transparency and for adjustments to broad domestic intelligence collection adjustments but argue that limiting the scope of such collection would put the country at greater risk of terrorist attacks. Says in a lengthy interview that aired on Friday on NPR, of course, hacks, carrying water, it says the NSA's top civilian official, the outgoing Deputy Director John C. Inglis, said that the agency would cautiously welcome a public advocate to argue for privacy interests before the secret court, which oversees surveillance. Such a measure is being promoted by some of the strongest legislative critics. He also suggested that the so-called FISA court could have, quote, somebody who would assist them with matters of interpreting technology, end quote, because apparently the court doesn't know enough about the technology to read through the NSA's BS. So now maybe somebody would actually translate the security for them. Who knows who these people would be if they're appointed, right? They would still probably be friends of the NSA. So a lot of good that would do. It says, currently the judges on the panel at the FISA court rely entirely on the NSA to explain how the agency's complex technological systems work, which is an institutional disadvantage that judges have highlighted in their secret rulings because they're bemoaning, quote, systemic misrepresentations by the NSA. Yeah, it's easy to misrepresent what you're doing when the judges don't understand the technology, right? 
And so security officials are arguing strongly against curtailing the substance of the program. Yeah, so they just want a few changes in form, a few changes in procedure, but the basic substance, which means that the NSA would continue to collect metadata in bulk about people without probable cause, without particularized suspicion, they want that to go unchanged. It said here, and here's the Guardian UK, it says, well, Inglis conceded in his NPR interview that at most, at most, one terrorist attack might have been foiled. Listen to that. At most, one terrorist attack might have been foiled by NSA's bulk collection of all American phone data. This was a case in San Diego that involved a money transfer from four men to Al-Shabaab in Somalia. That's a money transfer. So couldn't they have gotten it from the money transfer, you'd think? Anyway, he says he described it as a, quote, insurance policy against future acts of terrorism. So in the past, they have evidence that at most one terrorist attack might have been foiled. Nonetheless, they want to continue collecting in bulk everybody's telephone metadata from their cell phone providers. No probable cause, no particularized suspicion, just in case as an insurance policy. And they're like, well, who do you care? Because right now you're being taxed to pay for the health insurance policy of everybody else. So you should be taxed in the form of giving up your privacy to pay for an insurance policy of security for everybody. You shouldn't care. It's the same thing, right? No problem. If you want to talk about the NSA, vent a little bit. It's 760-888-5817. What do you think of the NSA keeping all of our bulk data collection as an insurance policy, boss? And fighting to keep it, right? Oh, yeah. And arguing to do so. Oh, yeah. I mean, these people got to be smacked down. And, and listen to this guy. Listen to this guy. Listen to how just completely out of touch with American citizens he is. This is him. Quote, I'm not going to give that insurance policy up because it is a necessary component to cover a seam that I can't otherwise cover. End quote. This is a quote from the guy at the NSA. I'm not going to give that up. I'm not going to give that up. He's fighting for it. Not, I would argue that the people of the United States shouldn't want to give I mean, it up. the arrogance. Yes. The arrogance. And was he smacked down by some politician? Well, he was talking to people at NPR. So oh, they're the, oh, the cheerleaders, man. right? Uh, well, they're his fellow workers. They're government workers, all of them. NPR, government radio, so... Jay Carney says that January 17th, a week from now, we should expect Obama to unveil his surveillance proposals. So you can expect that we're going to shred them, assuming that they happen before showtime here next week. says uh, expectations are high that Obama is going to follow the recommendations of the group that he set up. And the recommendation was we'll still collect all the data or we're going to compel the collection of the data. But we'll just have the companies store it instead of the NSA. They have to pay for That'll this. That'll make such a big no, difference, they have right? to pay for this. They, they really, really do. And it should be a major election issue as well. Will the Republicans do it? I doubt it. But it has to be, and it should be. This is a major. They're telling us we have basically, uh, we want to maintain this monster government, this unconstitutional government, and because I won't give it up. I mean, it's just, it's just shocking. It really is. You know, you know the the whole thing about you know when he when he speaks that way, I'm not going to give up the insurance policy. He's assuming that it's for him to yes, say yes. whether the NSA does. Absolutely right. 
he it's a given. He's the NSA, and that's it. Okay, guys, that's it. And what are you going to do about it? We have the power to decide it. We're not infringing on your rights at all, blah, blah, blah. We're and, just going to keep doing it. It's like Obama saying, well, how much money are we going to spend on this, on this? No. You know, our money. Right. We, 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 we. We spend, yeah. Yeah. No. No. Sorry. It, it is not your data. It is our data. And I don't care whether you think you need a haystack. I mean, this is just unbelievable. You you do not have a right to have my you know, metadata be part of the hay. And they the didn't, they didn't stop the Boston guys. They didn't stop this. They didn't stop that. They didn't stop anything. They said they stopped 50 terrorist attacks. And when someone calls them on it again and again, they have not one that they mentioned. I think Obama brought up 50. Someone else said in one of the hearings brought, brought up 50. They haven't stopped anything. I mean, this is it. So <laughs> they're, they're not doing their job because they're following all of us. By the way, there's, there's a story here. That's good. Oh, Shia LaBeouf is retiring from all public life. He should because he's a plagiarist. Yeah. But let's uh, <laughs> see. You fell into the advertising on the right-hand side of the page. Right, advertising is very powerful stuff. So there are a number of privacy advocates, I guess, at the White House. They're in a heated dispute between the NSA and the privacy advocates at the White House this week. And one advocate is from the ACLU, Michelle Richardson. Apparently, she has been keeping them on task with respect to the bulk data collection. This is a quote from her. She says, bulk collection is the big one. That's the big question, whether you continue to spy on Americans or not, Richardson says after the meeting. She says, you have to resolve that. That's all people will remember. And that's what they should remember. People need to ask themselves, does your government have the right to collect data from you without probable cause, without particularized yeah. suspicion, right. simply as a, quote, insurance policy that hasn't even proven its value. And, uh, again, the arrogance to say, uh, I'm not giving it up. What are you going to do about it? He needs to be slapped down. He needs to be completely just, just I don't know, gone after. And where are the Republicans on this? Right. Hi, who's this? Hello, you're on the air. Hey. It's, it's, you know, it's far worse than what you think it is, what the government is doing to the people. If you look up the smart meter and you go to this uh, website called StopTheCrime.net, people, is getting worse. You ever hear Lindsay Williams? He tried to tell you about the smart meter and yeah. what's going on no, with that. No, I, I, I'm sorry. I haven't, I haven't heard of that. No. So I think this it's probably going to take us a little bit off topic for today. Name dropping to... Name-dropping websites, I guess. Sorry about that. Feel free to post some more substance in the chat room so I can know what you're talking about to see whether it's going to take us too far afield before we get into that. But for me, myself, first of all, this idea that they're fighting to continue to do something that they have no right to do and the language that they use about it. I'm not going to give that up. I mean, it's just unbelievable. As if he's got the authority to talk about it that way. We're going to give up our, our rights. You mean... We can't fight back on that. So I'm not going to give up my right to uh, to violate your rights. Is what the guy's saying. I'm not giving up that right. All right. Anyway, it's it's, it's definitely truly ridiculous. In other news about NSA related stuff this week, I was glad to see, and you can see uh, over at my news sandwich again. I have the what's good for the goose news sandwich because the NSA responded to a request from socialist. I never usually like him at all, guy, Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, right? But Bernie Sanders of Vermont sent a request to the NSA and said, hey, NSA, are you spying on congressmen? And he defines spying as follows, quote, 
gathering metadata on calls made from official or personal phones, content from websites visited or emails sent, or collecting any other data from a third party not made available to the general public in the regular course of business, end quote. Can I just say that Bernie Sanders is afraid that, because he's an open socialist, he's afraid that they'll know that he's an actual communist. Anyway, go on. It, it might be. It might be. But the NSA responded quite appropriately as follows. And here's a quote from the NSA's statement. Members of Congress have the same privacy protections as all U.S. persons, end none. quote. Namely, none. none. We don't have any privacy. None. The only privacy you have is what government is prepared to give you. And, and you saw, you heard that and, guy, Inglis, I'm not going to give it up. I mean, I won't give up my right to violate your rights. Again, yeah. I just got to put it in words because it's, it's just, and, and to do it that way and not to be called on it, I'm assuming the NPR government hack did not call him on it. I haven't heard anything yeah. about that. But, of course, that was the Guardian's coverage, so it was a limited. I didn't hear the, the piece itself, just the Guardian's coverage of it. So, I mean, think about that. So, so the thing that I like about the response is that I think the legislators were appropriately horrified, yeah. saying, look, God, we don't have any privacy either, apparently. All, right. all of our metadata and all of everything else is collected just like everyone else. So will they, on, so that, will they basis, do something? Go on, on that basis now, will they go after him? Will they go after him? I don't know. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the thing. Senator Rand Paul, I think I told you guys last week that he had started a class action lawsuit against the NSA. And the sad thing about it, though, is that I'm not able to determine what the substance of the lawsuit is. There not, might not be any. Well, it, I mean, it might there, be a populist thing. It might be a populist thing with him. He has he has done it before, where he's done certain things in order to become president, in order to get some some more heat. He he has done that. Yeah. So I mean, him, you know, and Ted Cruz, they're probably the front runners, but they're both they both got their problems. So if you go to the actual page for the lawsuit at his website, there's a link to it in that news sandwich, the news sandwich, the What's Good for the Goose news sandwich, and if you go to that link, all it has is a form to fill out to join the no. lawsuit. It doesn't tell you, here's a link my, to the complaint, the draft the complaint, or the substance of the argument. I want to know. The only thing that I heard that there was an interview where he said that the question was whether or not constitutionally you can have a single warrant apply to millions of people, end quote. That's not enough to rile people up. Now, that's something. Yeah, but it's not enough to get um, people excited. And, 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 you know, I, as I say here in the news sandwich, even that vague framing of this issue might be enough to prompt the court to ask the question they need to ask, which is whether the third-party doctrine is valid. The third-party doctrine needs to go, and you've got all that argument over at my website. You can read it if you're interested. But that issue, I would love to see it put directly to the court because, as I said before, Justice Sotomayor said, I'm ready to hear this issue. Yeah. Send me this issue. Why doesn't Rand Paul just say, I want to challenge the third-party doctrine that purports to make all this garbage legal? He could say that. He could explain it to people. But as far as I know, he's not doing it. And, and I fear, some people have said that they fear this as well. It's so funny. Actually, I think one of the people, I'm not sure if one of the people who said that they feared this is one of the same people who doesn't expect that much of Chris Christie. I'm trying to remember if that's true. But they say, oh, he's just doing it in order to get elected. You know, uh, Rand Paul, that he's just starting this lawsuit in order to get – that's a very cynical way to look at politicians. But, but I'm, it, I'm starting to wonder whether that's true because I haven't seen the substance. Well, Christie had that, had that uh, press conference yesterday in order to maintain his hopes to be president. That's why he had that press conference yesterday, not for anything else. That's why he did it. 
And I, I think some politicians, even like Rand Paul, even the better ones, will do certain things in order to get elected, in order to say, hey, don't forget about me, as a little reminder that I'm, I'm still running here. Uh, because, and it's true, if you don't have the backup of even a sheet to make your case, then you have to question the guy's sincerity about it. You've you got to question whether he's going to – is he going to really do something about it? If someone says, sign up to be part of the class action lawsuit. There's usually and, a video. There's an argument. There's, right. there's, there's text. There's a PDF. Not just a form to fill out and collect your email address. He took it Thank for granted. No, he took it for granted. He said, look, I'm against it. You're against it. Let's get together. And you're supposed to be like, what? What am I signing here? I don't want to. Are you just generating an email list for Paul Rand Paul for 2015? I'm saying you can't be sloppy like that. You got to really go substantively, and it just tells you maybe he's not ready for prime time. I don't know. Anyway, I have a standing request in with his office. I actually did hear back from someone, and they said they couldn't make it this week. I said, well. Just put the request in for every week, anytime he can spare a little bit of time to talk about the basis of the lawsuit. I just yeah. want to know on what theory he's going to his, sue, whether his, he's going to do anything with respect to the third-party doctrine. His comprehension about it. Does he understand the third-party doctrine? Does he understand what, what's bad about it? and what to, you, know. you know, he doesn't have to understand the third-party doctrine. If he sends me the attorney that is doing the lawsuit for him yeah. who understands it, that's fine for me. Okay. But I want to know whether they are really going to get to the fundamental root of the problem then that attorney or if it's just going to be written, window dressing. Yeah, that yeah. attorney should have written... Uh, a manifesto against you. I mean, against the uh, the uh, NSA thing also. That's what I want to know. So let's let's go into this whole issue of the so-called year of action on poverty that Obama is going to do. First is a little bit of news about how the economy is doing. I don't understand how everyone can say that the economy is doing well. Yes, <laughs> the stock market has had some good days, but. I don't know That's what's the behind the stock market having good days. The, the stock market having good days right now could have a lot to do with whatever the Fed is doing behind the scenes. It doesn't make any sense at all. But a lot here, of people are trying to make a quick buck and get out. Who knows? You know, when you, when you say, oh, the economy is doing well as a whole. It's not. Look at this, the job numbers. The job numbers, the job numbers, the job numbers. It says, according to Guardian UK, and there's a whole bunch of other news sources that concur, The number of Americans who are looking for work, who are in the workforce, are at the lowest level since the 1970s. Since Jimmy Carter. Yes. It says the unemployment rate fell to 6.7%, but only 74,000 jobs were added in December. Big rise in number of people who are dropping out of the job market. The participation rate is at the lowest level for 40 years. 92 million out of work, 92 million Americans. It was on uh, Drudge. Yeah, who are just choosing not to. Yeah. It says the recovery in the U.S. jobs market came to a grinding halt in December. This is the thing I don't get, right? They talked about, oh, there were all these jobs created in October and November. And so many of those jobs could have just been because holiday. of retail holiday yes. Period. Yes. So why they said we were in some kind of a recovery instead of, some sort of a temporary reprieve due to the holidays. I have no idea. But in December, big surprise, there's no anticipation of needing all these people in January. Only 74,000 new jobs created. You know, but one thing about the cynicism, right, oh, hearing these stories like Obama and the economy, uh, but people can't be surprised, though, because this is Obama's purpose. I mean, in that sense, I mean, we, we can't be like, well, this is terrible, yes, but look who's in the White House. Look, he has the power to really hurt us in this way, and he has so that's just one thing. Also, this is this is this, this is this is 
the the result right. of Obama as president. Well, and then this is interesting, right? So they say here in the article, they say the sluggish growth in jobs was surprising. It says other reports had indicated strong growth in the market, and there are wider signs that the U.S.'s economy is strengthening. It says the Labor, Labor Department even revised up its job as, you know, growth estimate for November, reporting a confirmed rise of 241,000 jobs from an initial estimate of 203,000. Here's the deal, right? I think right now they are trying to make it so that the economy overall looks like it's doing well. And even though a whole bunch of people are out of jobs, because this creates the perfect environment for what comes next on their political agenda, right? They're perfectly happy to have, you know, maybe tweak the numbers a little bit, make the Fed make it look like the economy in general is doing well. Hey, America's doing great, but there's a whole bunch of people out of work and there's a whole bunch of people who are poor. But now that America's doing better, we can afford to help them. Because the economy is – I don't believe those numbers like anything. I would love to have Jonathan Honig here. Sometimes he uh, stops in the chat room and just tell us whether those numbers are even anything we could trust anyway. I don't don't believe any numbers that say that the economy is doing well in the face of all that unemployment. I just don't believe it. And and all these people who are choosing to be out of the workforce, those are people who could be producing wealth, contributing to GDP – and they're not doing it. So how can you say that things are looking up or that we're recovering? But that's exactly the picture that they need to paint, because especially to bring on board. Well, and, and they want to bring on board the Republicans in this push. Right. If right. they're going to do this no. year of action on poverty, they need the how Republicans can they resist to, it morally. Well, morally, they can't resist it. And they especially can't resist it if they believe Which they do. that we can afford it. Which they do. We can afford it. <laughs> As you if know? that, you know, that... As if that's the justification to, to, to buy anything. Well, I can afford it. I'm going to buy a piece of crap car. It doesn't work, but I can afford it, right? That's it. Matt in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio says that the stock market is smoke and mirrors. Everyone's money is forced into it, and the money is all fiat currency. I, I agree. I, mean, I, I don't think you can trust those no, numbers. No, there's, you can't. There's some kind of... You know, it's, it's like it's like you've got a big smoke screen, like you said, smoke and mirrors. And then behind it, there is something real, which is that there are people out there producing things. And those people who produce things are part of companies and those companies are in the stock market. Right. And so the stock market does register some evidence of productive wealth, but it is so distorted because of what the government's doing to it. You can't figure out, especially on the margins, what in the world is going on. So this idea that we've had any kind of recovery, I just, I just really don't believe it. And that's part of it. It's, it, it is uh, you know, deliberate chaos. And that's a, Obama's the author of that. He's behind it all. It is absolute chaos. We're not sure where we are, how bad we are. We know we're in a bad way, but how bad, we don't know yet. It's all up in the air. And the media is there to make it look as good as it can until... Until they don't need to, I guess. Right? Yeah, I mean, after basically the 2014 election, they're free to bash Obama and the Democrats after that. Although then they're going to want to get Hillary in, so yeah. it's going to go on and on and on. Here's the headline. Again, I went to the Guardian UK for a whole bunch of news this morning. I just happened to like their presentation of it. Obama promises a, quote, year of action on poverty in the White House speech. Five promise zones were named. Promise zones. Promise zones. So let's read a little bit about what he wants to do with these promise zones. Um, of course, Mitch McConnell was there at the speech, basically showing oh, him, man. I'm your, Absolutely. you know what. Yes. Can with I say respe- it? 
you can say it. I can't I'm say your it. bitch. Yeah. yeah, he's saying, yeah, yeah, you know, I'll push this for you, dude. <sighs> and sorry, it's Bitch McConnell. Yeah, it says uh, these promise zones that he's going to create around the country in order to have the year of action on poverty. It says the initiative, which aims to promote social mobility. What the hell does social mobility mean? Promise zones, social mobility. <laughs> I mean, it's just BS through and through. Social mobility in deprived cities and rural areas was first announced in last year's State of the Union address, but progress has been slow during a congressional year characterized by gridlock. It says, uh, this is going to be a year of action, said Obama. We are coming off a rancorous political year, but I genuinely believe this is not a partisan issue. This should be a challenge that unites us all. And again, what do they do? They make the Republicans feel guilty if they don't want to give just a little bit more to the poor, the jobless, the unemployed, whatever, how dare they not do this? You know, what are they? They're heartless, cruel, terrible. All the argument from intimidation is going to come out here. Anyway, it says, stung by data showing long-term unemployment and poverty continuing despite a broader economic recovery. Again, I think that recovery is garbage. The White House is planning to make social mobility the centerpiece. See, how convenient, right? The broader economy is doing great, but there's some people who are really hurting, and we can afford to help them. Obama has revealed plans to meet with business leaders this month to agree to a deal to hire long-term unemployed workers. Basically, he's saying, hire these people or later we'll force you to or we'll screw you up with regulations or we'll do something horrible to you. Um, He's going to make a trip to North Carolina on Wednesday to promote job growth in high-tech industries, etc. Now, let's listen to where his zones are. Now, if I had told you, where are the zones, the promise zones, Bosch? What would you guess? I don't know. I mean, where's one, one in particular, that's doing really badly that you would say, okay, here should be a promise zone? Well, I mean, it's one of the worst in, in the country. Yeah. Detroit. Yeah, Detroit. Yeah. 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 Detroit. Yeah. Um, you think Detroit's on the list of five it's not. promise zones? Oh, no. So, so what is it? Philadelphia. Okay. Kentucky. Why? Isn't Kentucky a red state? I don't, probably, but I don't, I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, Why o- Oklahoma? Now, what's the point here? Oklahoma. Yeah, they're all. Is, isn't Oklahoma yeah. red? Re- yes. Red state? Y- yes, yeah. it is. Los Angeles. I don't know why Los Angeles, because Hollywood. You've got to keep I Hollywood so. on its side. I guess so. Got to keep Hollywood on its side. Probably. I, I still don't know why Philadelphia. You'll have to figure out Philadelphia. I don't know why but San Antonio. San Antonio is part of a red state. Yeah, and, uh, and they're doing well, as far as I know. So what is this? It's just to get into in those states under some false pretense and try to flip them. I mean, because that's, that, that, that's they've been. They've I been, think it's they've part of the effort to flip these states. I think so too. This is a, a stealth move. And again, you don't put you don't put anything past Obama. Nothing. People who do, that's why he won. <laughs> you know what I mean, people who put things past him is, is why he won. That's why they voted for him. Well, he can't be that bad, right? He's black and he's good. Uh, no Detroit. Yeah, Detroit is a hellhole. It's a Democrat hellhole. Kentucky. Oh, and you know what? I think uh, Senator Rand Paul is on board. Is hmm. Senator Rand Paul? Where's he from? Yes, Kentucky. Hmm. So what, he's getting some kickbacks? Oh, and who was at the meeting? And where is he from? Who was at the speech? McConnell. Yeah. Where's it, McConnell from? Yes, um, K- Kentucky as well. Yeah. Huh? Hmm. Both. Hmm. So they're getting, some, uh, they're getting paid off, possibly. Hmm. <laughs> Rand appalling, yeah. So I'm there, there starting to think I can't trust hats. Rand Paul as far as I throw him. Well, we can't trust I, any of them. I mean, look, Ted Cruz has shown uh, he's he's still the best we got, still, to me. 
he's shown a few things, a few chinks in his armor. Don't like, don't care about. Uh, Mike Lee, I think, has gone over the deep end with that. With that. Um, now, uh, give Rand Paul some credit here. He does actually uh, say some of the right things here. He says the concern that he has is well, that. Some of the ideas, as far as government grants, aren't new ideas. He says, I'm concerned that it's not enough and different enough from what we have been doing to have the effect that we all want, end quote. That is, to me, um, sort of pointing in the right direction of the problem, uh, which is don't keep throwing money at this. But you're saying he was but, there? Listen to his claptrap? I'm not sure if he was listening there or okay. it was afterwards. Because, I mean, if you can, I mean, look. If you're a moral person, oh, he was at the event. If he you're was. there, you don't go and support Obama in any way whatsoever. Just by your mere presence, you don't do that because you're endorsing him to some extent, even by being there. The State of the Union, even that. I mean, honestly, I think a politician can actually uh, say, you know, I'm, I don't want to be there, and that's fine. But to go to that event, he's saying, uh, you're not that bad, Obama. When he is terrible, he's the worst ever. And so I don't know. I don't. I don't trust people who do that. I just don't who go there and give credence to Obama just by their mere presence. It says the five promised zones will receive priority access to existing federal support programs. These terms. these terms are meant to make us think something other than what they mean. And some additional staff, more bureaucracy. Yeah. But tax breaks and new money will only be forthcoming if Congress agrees. How much will so, the promised so, zone project cost? So basically, he's going to use his slush fund yes. to help these five areas. As and then as, as, as they want to pass legislation to get tax breaks and new money. But, of course, it's going to have to come with money. They can't just have the tax breaks because otherwise, you know, Obama would say, it won't work. You know, he, says, he says, I don't care if the ideas are Democratic or Republican. I do care look, if it works. This, and we know he doesn't believe that free no, markets work. No, so it's not going to be a free market solution. This, look, he is, is drowning uh, politically, popular-wise, in every way. So he's like, I gotta, he has to keep, keep coming up with these schemes and with different terms. I mean, listen to these terms. Promise zones. What else? What was the old term? Social, I don't know, social some, mobility. Some other crap. But what oh. I'm saying is he's drowning. So he's like, oh, man, i got to throw something out there. Throw some good words out there, guys. Come on, think of something, he told the speechwriters, you know? You will have priority access to existing federal support programs. In other words... You mean like Obamacare? You will be first in line to get the money that we have stolen from your fellow Americans. Now, we're very good at stealing, okay? You've got to give us that. We're awesome. You know? I mean, they're, they're probably the best thieves on earth, you know, the U.S. government, the federal government. But that's all they're good at. They're good at stealing, period. They're good at creating bureaucracy yeah. that they don't know what they're doing, the yeah, but, bureaucrats. But those, but, but those bureaucracies, all those institutions, they have, to need, they have to build by what? By the money that they steal. So it all starts with the fact that they're very good thieves. That's the first thing and last thing that they're great at. And then all the rest is just, you know, wasted. So that's his plan. Whether he's going to be Sorry, able to... plot. Plot? That's his plot? You want to call it plot? Yeah, that's his plot. His, his plot. That's his most recent plot. And do you think it's going to get through Congress Probably. and the Senate? Probably. Uh, I think uh, Ted Cruz and some others might oppose it, but who else out there? Republican-wise, Boehner, he is Obama's bitch also. So Obama got the budget deal that he wanted. Yeah. The Republicans patted themselves on the back because unemployment benefits were not extended as part of their deal, and they thought, oh, we'll keep those off the table. But now there is a full-court press under the you know, supposed idea that – there's a broad economic recovery out of which these unfortunate Americans, they're just left out. Yeah. They're poor. They're out of jobs. 
Well, it's not government's fault that they're pouring out of jobs. You know, politicians will always remind you that they're politicians. Uh, Rand Paul, for instance, just showing up there. That's just, you know, it's pretty ugly. It, it really is. And he's one of the better guys. I have not heard that Ted Cruz was there. Uh, Ted Cruz did make the following statement about the so-called Promise Zones announcement. It's a short statement, so I'm just going to go ahead and read it to you. He says, it's altogether fitting that President Obama is today talking about income inequality because income inequality has increased dramatically as a direct result of his economic policy. Excellent. True. Bravo. He says, out-of-control government spending, debt, taxes, and regulations have killed millions of jobs. Unfortunately, rather than stop Washington's job-killing policies, President Obama proposes yet more government spending and debt. People need jobs. All of America needs to be a real promise zone with reduced barriers to small businesses creating private sector jobs. And we should start by, listen to this, repealing every word of Obamacare, building the Keystone Pipeline, abolishing the IRS, and this is the last one that I, and I only have a quibble with this last one, rolling back abusive regulations. Right. Okay, right. rolling back abusive regulations. We got, we've got to have regulations. <laughs> regulations are cool, but we're just going to roll back. The abusive ones. And, and, the and, most and, abusive ones. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I mean, there's abusive ones, so, so we'll just roll and there are, those and there back. there are great so, ones, too. So we'll leave some of the abusive ones. Like, what uh, is this? What is this? But whatever. Well, but, yeah, but look, but it's as I, good as it gets today. That's about as good as you get. Yeah. And talk about, I mean, abol- who talks about abolishing the IRS? Nobody. Very few. No. Maybe Nobody. Rand Paul would still talk maybe, about that. But, but, maybe, uh, but I haven't heard him say that. And he was he was with Obama the old day, so right now he stinks. You know, <laughs> honestly, he was with Obama, so he has the stench He's of Obama. He's not on my on him. show, so he stinks. He has the stench no. of Obama <laughs> on him right now, and he has to take maybe a hundred showers, maybe to start to maybe get it off a little. There's a, a new listener in the chat room there. I am the universe E Y E, so welcome, hanging out there, and. Oh, actually, we have, actually have a caller as well. But I was going to go ahead and pick maybe up on Ted, something. It, maybe it's Ted Cruz or Rand Paul. I don't know. Yay! Maybe it's both of them. Um, but I am the universe. Maybe is onto something here because this idea they have the war on this and the war on that, and now yeah. we have more poverty. We have the we had the war on poverty, and now we have more poverty than ever before. And yes, I have as the next story that you know, I want to talk about at my website. If you go to my website, don'tletitgo.com, you see the links to all the stories that we've been talking about today. And the next one is something that I got from Cato. They have been doing a little study events and stuff on the war on poverty at 50, 50 years old, 50 years of the war on poverty. And they say, despite trillions spent, poverty has won the war on poverty. We'll talk about that in a second, but let me go ahead and take this call that we have. Hi, who's this? Yeah, how you doing? I'm just right here listening to the radio station. This is my first time calling and, and listening to the radio station. Hi, who's this? What's your name? This is James calling from Chicago. James, welcome. So what's your comment or question? Oh, I just, you know, basically what I have to say about this is that I'm wondering when is the tipping point when people are going to stand up and just keep talking about all these distractions that are going on because all these news distractions that are going on, talking about politicians and Rand Paul and all these guys, it's evident that none of these guys are going to stand up and stand up for what's right. You know, the people are the ones that have to stand up. So and, what is, what is um, what's your proposal then for a solution? There needs to be a, a, a the whole awakening of people, you know, within their own mind. You know, I don't, I really don't know. 
I can't I well, can't so, tell you I can't answer that. I mean, I, I, I agree. Like I said, you know, I don't know if you were listening during the last hour, but there are people getting cynical to the extent that if a politician uses his power to stop traffic in a certain area, that's just that's just not a big deal to them. And, and it's a bigger deal to them how the media covers it or how, you know, what kind of press conference he gets. So I agree. People get so wrapped up in politics. But at the same time, you know, I, you know, we have to have this awakening. Yes, people need to wake up and they need to know that our government is doing all the wrong things. It's not doing the things that it's supposed to do. It's not protecting our rights. But then when people wake up, are you suggesting that they're not going to try to choose better politicians, that that's not going to be the avenue of change? Or, I mean, what, what do you think? There needs to be a revolution. So you, you think that we're actually at the stage where there should be some sort of an armed revolution or what? Um, it seems like it right now because these guys are they already passed laws like the NDAA law? They passed you know the martial law. They passed a lot of these laws uh, where they are not they declare a state, a state of emergency and they're not even on their on their America. It's not even ran. This government is not being ran by America right now. It's being ran by the UN. Now I don't know exactly how much of all that stuff is true but what I do agree is that it seems like so many of our politicians so for instance I was just talking about Rand Paul Rand Paul has been one of the most outspoken advocates for our right to privacy and yet I haven't seen him go far enough to just get out there and explicitly propose the exact thing that needs to be done to protect our privacy right now which is get rid of the third party doctrine He's capable of understanding that. He's capable of articulating it. He's starting a class action lawsuit. And yet, I don't know whether the lawsuit is just a vehicle to trump up donations and support for him to become president. And he really wants to keep the NSA's power like everybody else and just pretend he's doing something about our privacy or he actually wants to do something about it. It's, it's hard for me to tell. So I, I agree with you that it's frustrating, but I, I still don't know that we're at the stage of an armed revolution. I'd more go the route... Of you know, Mark Levin says, why don't we have state constitutional conventions? You know, a convention to propose amendments to the Constitution and try to get all the big government people out of Washington that way. What do you think of a plan like that? Yeah, it sounds great. Anything where we all unite together and discuss ideas how how to better you know humanity and and freedoms for ourselves is good. You know, in my opinion, you know, it's better than doing nothing and and just you know, it's better it's better than just doing nothing, you know, basically. But at the same time, it seems like we've tried a lot of methods, but really when was there ever freedom in this country? It always seems like there's always been something, you know, the 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 war on terror, the war on guns, the war on, like you say, on poverty, the war on drugs, you know, the war on, it's always the war on something. I'm wondering when is the last time do you guys remember that we had some freedom, some real freedom. I would say the freest period probably was the period after the slaves were freed, yeah. 1865, exactly. right? Up until about 1890, yeah. late 
you know, 1800s, early 1900s, there was the, the freest period basically that we had. Yeah, because until we got rid of slavery in this country, yeah. you'd say, okay, people weren't really free. Uh, we had essentially a free market in this country up until some of the changes that Republicans in part literally. were responsible for in 1890 and then up to 1913 it started getting really bad with the Federal Reserve. So there was, you know, there were a few decades right. of freedom, I would say, in this Economic country. Freedom. Uh, not uniformly throughout the country. You know, there were some states that still had forced segregation and all those things too. But, you know, on a federal level, we had freedom for decades, yeah. late 1800s, you know, first decade of the 1900s, basically. And since then, I agree, not so much. I think, uh, you know, in terms of we need more citizen uh, politicians, you know. We need more citizens like uh, uh, Ted Cruz coming from a private sector go to Washington, uh, uh, Mike Lee coming to Washington. And that's why they, they, they can win there. And they don't play the political game. They don't even know the political game, a lot of them. So they don't play it. They just say what they know to be true and go out there and do the best. We need a lot more of them. 2014, they might be. They might. They might come. So, James, James, what's your background? What do you do? Oh, my background. I'm all, I'm Hispanic, and I'm in the city of Chicago right right now. I'm unemployed. So right now you're one of the unemployed. More than yes. to know. <sighs> Affected by all of this overbearing government. So how did you find but, this show? How did you find the show? Uh, I found a show just looking at the uh, uh, browsing through the live shows on on the website, and I decided to uh, call in and listen to the to the show. But I wanted to say one thing too, Mm -hmm. for uh, I think for minorities, and I think that I'm speaking for a lot of minorities when I say that we've always been, we never really had any true freedom. We've always had the idea of freedom when you go to the to school and when you say the Pledge of Allegiance and when you read the history and the Constitution. You know, you look at that. If you want, if you actually pay in class, pay attention in class, and you you read you read it, and you look at that. But when you come out to the to your neighborhood, it's a whole different experience. You know, we don't experience what 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 it says. It's it's basically an idea of freedom, but we never actually there was never an action for us. I, I would say right now, all of us have grown up in an era where government has its hands in so many aspects of everybody's life. There are a number of people who could be creating jobs that you could have this moment, James, and there are so many barriers to entry. It is so hard to start a new business. You know, it's even difficult to start a business in in which you're employed for yourself. You know, someone like me, uh, I want to do, you know, some writing and some speaking and stuff, and sometimes you want to create a business just for yourself. And even that, there's so many hoops that you have to jump through. There's so many fees that you have to pay and forms that you have to fill out. And for somebody who actually wants to have a number of employees and employ people like you in Chicago, James, I mean, it's difficult. It's it's difficult, and it's getting harder. So, I mean, to me, I'm way more sympathetic with someone like Ted Cruz who says, let's make it easier on businesses to start up, to get into the market and compete and create jobs, and, and our government just seems intent on keeping people, you know, on unemployment, on food stamps, and all those other things. Um, but James, I, I mean, I, I thank you for tuning into the show and, and calling in. Anything else before we go on? Uh, no, I just would like to say that um, the system is rigged. Everything in life is rigged, and have a good day. 
I okay. Well, I don't think it's rigged, but uh, <laughs> sir, I think we I think all. I have to listen some more. Read some Ayn Rand. I think I think our government does a lot to try to rig things today. Oh yeah. But that we have quite a bit of freedom in which we can and, educate ourselves. Yeah, because if and, you believe that, then right. it's it's hopeless. It's like uh, I remember this one cousin of mine from France came in there. The system, the system, the system. And he he destroyed himself, more or less, because he was under the system. So he had no choice of anything. I mean, he couldn't do anything about it in his own mind. James, Therefore, he, he was defeated by the system. James, if, if, uh, if you're still listening, if you go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, and then you click on the little tab that says Amy, there's a link that talks about an email address that you can write to me. Now, people are supposed to write to me only if they want to engage me for a speaking engagement. And I get different solicitations of people trying to sell me stuff on that email. But James, if you write me and you give me an address, and you don't have to give me your real address, you give me a post office box, whatever. I, I'm not trying to you know, get your name on a list to support me for a future presidential campaign or anything. But if you give me an address, I will send you a copy of a book that I think you might really benefit from reading. And I think it's going to, I think I'll send them what philosophy who needs it. Maybe I'll send you two books. I would send you philosophy who needs it. And well, maybe you think just fountain. Absolutely. Fountainhead. And philosophy Actually, who needs James it. in the email, tell me whether you prefer fiction or nonfiction well, well, and I will act accordingly. Well, if you say you prefer fiction, I mean, that's, if, like, that's the intro to Rand. True. That's true. the intro. But if he, if he prefers nonfiction, if he likes nonfiction, then I would send him something different yeah, like philosophy. Even if he doesn't it. prefer fiction, if he reads Fountainhead, he might enjoy it. Anyway, yeah. we'll, we'll debate about it. But you can tell me, James, what, if you have a strong preference for nonfiction, then I'll send you nonfiction. If you're open to reading a novel, I'll send you a free a copy of The based Fountainhead. based on the, on the philosophy. That's all right, right. But I'll send you a free copy of The Fountainhead, which I think will absorb you and maybe get you out of the idea that everything in life is yes. rigged. I, I agree that there's a whole ton in life right now that is rigged. It is bad and we complain there. about the parts of life that are rigged yeah. on this show every week. Yeah. But I urge you not to get too cynical about it. No, because it makes you impotent. If you yeah. actually believe everything is rigged, then you're not going to do what you ought to do. You just won't do it. <laughs> Someone in the chat room, I am the universe, says, clearly that was rigged. That he, that he called up? No, that Gore Bush 2000. Oh, Gore Bush 2000 was rigged? Uh, I don't know how much of politics is rigged. And when a story like Chris Christie's this week comes out, you you start to think more of it is rigged. Well, you got one dishonest person can can do some damage. If you have an entire entire parties of dishonest people, yeah, you can do some real heavy damage and you can rig things to who knows what, what extent. But most of the people in Washington are absolute lying rats, most of them. So, yeah, they probably rig as much as they possibly can. But to think and to say, well, because of that, because politics, then we're done, that's, that's too defeatist. You will really, you will freeze yourself. You will not give yourself the opportunity to really get out there and test yourself against the world. Well, the, and the other thing, too, if your idea is, oh, we have to give up and there's armed revolution, first of all, we're not there. Who, yeah, who, who are the people that are going to join together and engage in an effective armed revolt? Yeah, that, there's, it's not going to happen now. And suppose you did that. If you did that, who would be in charge afterwards? Who would take over? We need to have a proper government. Matt writes uh, something very, very good. Here. We're just not ready. Matt writes, uh, if you declare you have no power over your own life, you won't have any. Absolutely right. So you've got to get that out of your head because once it's there, you are impotent in your own life. You cannot make a move. And that's the worst thing you could do, to destroy yourself because, what, the system is rigged? No. 
as I said, there there are a lot of things that are rigged today because of our overbearing government, but there's a hell of a lot that still isn't. No doubt about it. And I do think, James, definitely, please take me up on my offer, write me, and I'd love to send you the, the Fountainhead in particular because that was something I that I read that really yeah. helped in my you life. You sound like when a young I, man I was, also, yeah. and uh, have you done? Do, do a follow-up. We'll talk again. Definitely. And... I don't know. What was, what was I going to say? I was going to say I would I would pay the cost. I usually make this offer to people anyway, which is that if they buy themselves a copy of the Fountainhead and they read the first fifty pages right. and they're not right. absorbed, then I'll buy the copy from them. But right. here I'm going to give you a free copy, James. So that oh, offer wait, that would, offer doesn't. Stand. I've given the Fountainhead to endless people. I don't. I can't even say now how many. Uh, most of them enjoy it, no doubt. Some of them just 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 didn't read it. But most of them definitely uh, yeah. had an effect. All you got to do is read 50 pages, James, and then uh, if you don't like it, them. I don't know. How, how long does it take to read 50 pages of a book? It depends. You know, I, I was going to say I'd pay a minimum wage to read the 50 <laughs> pages. I mean, sometimes <laughs> you, you sit there and you're done know. before you know it. It's true. It's true, especially with Rand's work. Anyway, we'll go on. I'll, I'll converse with James if he does take me up on it and, and write me. <laughs> I have Daniel in the chat room says it's beneficent altruism. It, no, he it, says I love Amy's beneficent altruism. But it's but it's not altruism <laughs> it's not, it's at not. all. I, don't, I I would I would because definitely I would definitely love to have that exchange with James, no, someone who just randomly can, finds a show. I think that's awesome. There's nothing like rent, and I mean it. There's not. I mean, be being raised in a in a, in a in a Muslim background, nothing like rent to just give you a moral anchor, one that you never thought existed before. Nothing like it. I mean, a morality based in reality. You can't beat it. There's nothing like it. Definitely. Most definitely. Let's read a little bit about what Cato says we've been doing for decades and does not work, does not help people who are in poverty at all. This idea that he's going to have a year of action on poverty and throw more money and more bureaucracy at this so-called problem is just garbage. No, he wants to you know, make America, America poorer. I mean, that's, that's what it is. I'm quoting from a piece by Michael Tanner over at Cato, and you can find the link to it at my blog at DontLetItGo.com. It says, in 2012, the federal government spent $668 billion to fund 126 separate anti-poverty programs. 126 separate anti-poverty programs. Why is there 126 because separate they're anti- all required to, you know, to succeed? And one of them didn't succeed, so if you have 126, it'll definitely succeed, right? Six hundred sixty-eight billion. This is one year. One year. Six hundred sixty-eight billion. State and local governments kicked in another two hundred eighty-four billion, bringing total anti-poverty spending to nearly one trillion dollars. I mean, that amounts, they say, to twenty thousand six hundred ten dollars for every poor the, person in America. They might as well burn the money. I mean, they might as well. Right. You would think so. Uh, Then spending on the major anti-poverty programs increased in 2013, pushing the total even higher. Over the last 50 years, the government has spent more than 16 trillion. 16 trillion. To fight poverty. 16 trillion. And it says yet today, 15% of Americans still live in poverty, which is scarcely better than the 19%, which was at the time of Johnson's speech. So they're going to have a war on poverty. They've been doing it for 50 years. Well, they have a war on America, on American freedom, on American business, on American economy. Mm-hmm. That's what they've been having for 50 years. As James said, they've been rigging more and more things uh-huh. as as the time goes on. And 
look at the so-called result. Nearly 22% of children live in poverty today. In 1964, it was 23%. Only 1%, which is margin of error kind of stuff. That's ridiculous. And, you know, Tanner over here at Cato asks, he says, how could we have spent so much and achieved so little? Why? Because it's the kind of thing that they're doing. He says they're doing this rather than giving people the tools that will help them escape the poverty. And in some of the quotations from this Tanner person at Cato, it sounded like he's saying, well, let's just set up some new job training programs and this and this and that. But when when you actually go to the bottom of this piece and you talk about the recommendations then they're actually not sounding so bad. So they talk about the failed government school system. Uh, They want to encourage competition and choice. It's vague. They don't say exactly what they want to do, but they're not saying, in effect, that we need to throw more money at education. They said we need to encourage competition and choice. I think they need to privatize the entire school system, stop, you know, Rigging the schools, Uh as James said. I'm just going to talk about rigging for the rest of the show today because they're, they're rigging it. They're using government force to control how the thing works. They're rigging it. Also, you know, well, well Chrissy's speech yesterday was rigged. You know what I mean? People said, well, I want Chrissy to be a guy, so whatever he says, I'll just say it was masterful. You know? right. Now, then the other thing is they're talking about making tweaks to the welfare program. They're not talking about ending the welfare program, but they're saying, well, let's tweak it. Why? Because as it exists, it creates a perverse incentive, and the perverse incentive is to have children out of wedlock. It said in 1964, just 6.4% of children were born out of wedlock. Today, nearly 41% are. And among African Americans, more than 70% of children are born to single mothers. Today? Yes. Shocking. Roughly 63% of all poor children reside in single-parent families. Yet, and they say, as Charles Murray demonstrated years ago, the overwhelming body of research shows that the increased availability of welfare benefits is directly correlated with an increase in out-of-wedlock births. So they want to change the incentives. Don't necessarily eliminate the welfare program. They don't say that, but they want to change the incentives. That would be too radical. That would. That would be too much for them. Uh, Then they say, finally, if we want to win the war on poverty, we need to end those government policies, high taxes, and regulatory access. Some taxes are okay. Some regulations are okay, mm-hmm. right? That's their translation. Uh, that inhibit job growth and creation. After all, they say the best route out of poverty remains a job. So that's all fine and good. He, here's the question, and it comes up just time and time again. People say, well, we want to have some regulation. We want to yeah. have some yeah. government they force. They can't let go of that. Ahead, you know, yeah, go, go. I don't want to give that up, right? Yeah. That's the government right there. I don't Literally. want to give that up. No, but that guy should be the, yeah. the example. I don't want to give that up. I don't want to give up my control over your life. That's right. I don't want to give up my right to abuse your rights. I don't want to give up my rigging. I don't want to give up my, 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 uh, my ability to violate your rights. I will not do it. Oh, this is, this is really terrible. So, um, you know, what do they do? Suppose they say, okay, well, we're in favor of some welfare. Yeah. We're in favor of some some regulation. Evil. Some evil, yeah. I like a little evil here and where there. Where do they where do they draw the line? Who gets to say how much, right? There where's how can you have a principled line drawn between the welfare programs, the redistribution of wealth that our government should be allowed to do and yep. the stuff that it shouldn't be allowed to do. Yep. The regulation, the force exerted in advance. I mean, people have tried to draw these 
you know, guidelines up in an objective fashion, but it cannot be done. You cannot say, well, it's just a little bit of initiation of force. Yeah. It's uh, a, little, a little evil drizzled over some good. For, for a good motive. Just, yeah. just a little traffic congestion over there yeah. because, you know, I'm a politician and I should be able to do that and no big deal. Yeah. And I mean, where does the Wall Street Journal get so horrified that they draw they're, the line? They're full of it. Um, so on the right track, I do like Cato for pointing out that we're already spending a whole ton, 126 separate federal programs. That are ongoing Which right now. I, I couldn't even think of 126 different things for government to do exactly. to this address poverty. Exactly, all geared poverty. towards poverty. And you know everyone is impotent. Everyone is making matters worse. You know that. You know that those behind the group are probably wealthy. By the way, there, there was a, a story in Time Magazine about that. It's a millionaire's club in Washington now. I think a majority has become millionaires. As and, and, and someone tweeted, actually, uh, as we talked about on the show, they go into Washington, non-millionaires, they leave millionaires. How? Right. So all How? you have to do is you have to have a bunch of politicians who themselves are experiencing complete financial security. <laughs> and they say, hey, thanks, to, good. thanks to all the thieving yes. and the cronyism that's, that's in Washington. And that's why they can say, what do you complain about? I'm doing well. You know, come on. It's subjective. I'm doing well, so therefore you're doing well. Shut up. Daniel in the chat room in response to my question about drawing any sort of a principled line as to whether you say, okay, here the government can initiate force, yeah. but there it can't, can. or here it can redistribute wealth and there it can't. I want anybody to call up and, and propose Try. one. Try you know? go for it. Sometime, any show, whatever you want to do, if you're listening to this show, call in next week, 760-888-5817, during the show time, which is from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern time, and... Let me know what your idea is for actually saying, okay, here's regulations that we should allow, and here's the ones we shouldn't allow. Here's the stealing from Peter to pay Paul that we should allow, and here's what we shouldn't allow. Craziness. Uh, let's end on a fun little note, which is Durbin. Yeah, uh, Turbin, <laughs> because he called our uh, soldiers Nazis. He gave us some free publicity this week, or, you know, us, us, I loosely say this, but all of us, us who would like to see Ayn Rand's ideas have a little bit more exposure to the culture. Senator Durbin says to the GOP this week, put down Ayn Rand books. Can I just make the, an AKA? Mm -hmm. uh, less realistic Ayn Rand uh, villain says, put down Ayn Rand books to, to GOP. A less realistic Ayn Rand villain. He's such a piece of crap. <laughs> Here's the quote directly from Durbin. He says, I say to my conservative friends, put down those Ayn Rand books for a minute and take a look at the real world. The real world. <laughs> As if Durbin lives in the real world. Yes. He says, if we can't stand behind those who are struggling in life, who are we? What are we? Huh? End quote. Now, we know of one politician who uh, advertised the fact that he's a big Ayn Rand fan. He calls her one of his greatest heroes. He says, read Atlas Shrugged, go buy it and read it. There's only one. It's Ted Cruz. We know others have been influenced to some extent, but he's the only one who is explicit about it. The other ones have Rand. So he's pretending that they're into Iron Rand. And what kind of books is it, you think uh, Turbin reading, by the way? Yeah. And I mean, basically, he's doing an argument from intimidation here. Yeah. He's taking for granted that everybody thinks that it is the government's job and that it is an individual's moral duty to provide for the poor. And so he's saying, well, you're a piece of crap if you don't agree with me. Yes. And you're not in the real world. You're reading those Ayn Rand books. Shame on you. Yep. 
and he thinks he's going to get away with it. But also behind that, I think there's uh, abject fear. Uh, the, the, the left knows that the greatest threat against them is Ayn Rand and her ideas and her philosophy. They know that. So they can say this on one fine level to some extent, but they know they are terrified if she takes hold. If she really takes hold, if her ideas take hold of the, of the GOP, then they have an, an opponent like they never had before. Exactly. And that's why when I posted this earlier this week, both on the Don't Let It Go Unheard page and on Twitter, I said how revealing because they are afraid yes. that her ideas might actually have some influence because it is her ideas, her idea that it is okay to put yourself first with respect to making your moral decisions, that the fact that people are poor is not a mortgage on your life, that you don't have a moral duty to help the poor. You can help the poor if you want. You're free to. But there is no moral duty to help the poor. There's no moral duty to do that. And that's what these people are uh, trying to kind of blank out. So definitely do go read some Ayn Rand. I bet a lot of Republicans haven't actually read Ayn Rand. I'd like to see them do more of it. I don't have time to play it now, but go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com. There's a little clip, a YouTube clip, uh, Ayn Rand answers, does she hate the poor? That We played it last week, but it's worth playing again now in this context. So go listen to it. Leave comments on the show. If you like the show, spread the word. We have to go, and we'll talk to you next week. Goodbye from Amy and Bosch. Take care. Take care.